Bill C-384 is back on the table. This is the controversial bill that would see euthanasia and assisted suicide legalized in Canada. It's the third time the bill has been introduced, and if it passed, it would establish in Canada death as a treatment option for problems that should properly be solved effectively by compassionate medical care. I could spend the whole hour speaking on this topic, and perhaps we will be revisiting it as a feature interview in the next weeks, but let me just make this little distinction because there is some confusion about whether people in a persistent vegetative state should be disconnected from their ventilators or have their feeding tubes removed. These two things are very different. It's the difference between extraordinary care and basic care. Extraordinary care would be anything extraordinary that is required to keep the body alive, like a ventilator or a heart pump. Without it, the person would, in effect, be dead. Basic care are those things which are not extraordinary that we require in order to stay alive, that everyone requires to stay alive, such as food and water. Those things should not be considered medical care. But because someone in a coma or in a vegetative state or someone who is severely disabled may require a feeding tube because they can't feed themselves, it's considered, at least in Canada, medical care. And so, the removal of medical care includes the removal of food and water, which would kill an otherwise healthy person. This is what happened to Terry Schiavo. So let me clarify. If you're breathing on your own and your heart is beating on its own and all you need is someone to feed you, that's basic care. Removing it would cause you to starve to death. That's euthanasia. On the other hand, Disconnecting someone from a ventilator or a heart pump is not killing them because without the extraordinary care, they would already be dead. So that is not euthanasia. So let's pray that our leaders in Ottawa pay a little closer attention to what's really happening and ask all the right questions before they make any hasty decisions. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Hello and welcome to Salt and Light Radio. My name is Pedro Guevara Man. I'm Christian Matrenko. And in about seven minutes, we'll be joined by Mary Rose Bacani, who has great news as to what's going on in dioceses across the country. And uh, Chris, uh, there's been a few things in the news. Yes, we'll be talking about an apology from the Pope's brother, as well as uh, some homily tips that have just come from a Vatican official. And uh, finally, a very significant talk by effectively the number three in the Vatican about the Anglicans. So if you're Anglican or an Anglican especially hoping to become Catholic, listen up. Yes, well, looking forward to hear about those stories. Uh, that'll be in, in, a, in about 10 minutes. Now, Chris, you mentioned this uh, talk by this cardinal. That's Cardinal uh, William Leveda. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm bringing it up now because today we're doing something a little different instead of uh, a featured interview and a featured artist we actually will be airing uh, uh, that one of the talks by Cardinal Leveda at the Catholic Christian Outreach fundraising dinner while he was in Ottawa um, it was a wonderful talk so you'll be able to hear it very shortly well I look forward to hearing it I heard his talk in Kingston which we'll be talking about but yes this will be new yes. for me yeah it was very exciting it's always fun to, to listen to uh, a cardinal um, and now Chris, the Psalms have always been a source of inspiration for musicians. 
So since we don't have a featured artist today, we thought we'd take the opportunity to play some of my favorite psalm settings written by Canadians, because uh, we can't have a show without music. So that's where we begin. We begin with Marcel Dion and his setting of Psalm 27, The Lord is my light. Encamp themselves against me, my heart will not fear. Though war be waged upon me, even then will I try. Salvation 
That was Marcel Dion with The Lord is My Light, Psalm 27, from his Sing a New Psalm album. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio. Today we're playing music from the Psalms. I'm your host, Pedro Guevara Man, and now it's time for events. So here now with us is Mary Rose. Thank you, Pedro. So Edmonton. The Archbishop Emeritus of Edmonton, Joseph McNeil, is inviting all the faithful in the Archdiocese of Edmonton to a Lenten mission. I know every parish has this, Mm -hmm. but this is a special one for Edmonton. It's hosted by St. Teresa and Corpus Christi Parishes. The theme is, Who is Jesus to You? Now, this evening will take place at St. Teresa Parish from tomorrow till Tuesday, March 14th to 16th at 7 p.m. And there'll be a social in the church foyer after each presentation. Now, for Calgary, you have Larsh Calgary and the Pastry Chef Guild of Alberta teaming up to present the Lint Chocolate Competition. Now, this means you can view cake masterpieces and enjoy a slice of premium cake at the same time. The event is tomorrow, March 14th, 12 to 3.30 p.m. at the SAIT Heart Building and Four Nines Cafeteria. Tickets are only $5 and parking is free and proceeds will support Larsh Calgary's members with developmental disabilities. For more information, go to larshcalgary.org or pastrychefs.ca. And we've talked about this before. We've had an interview with interview with Blake Sittler, the director of the Office of Marriage and Family Life for Saskatoon. And this is the National Marriage Enrichment Conference coming up. It's taking place in Saskatoon on March 19th and 20th, Friday to Saturday. Now, this is not just another marriage conference, as Blake pointed out to us before. He said it's meant to speak to today's married couples in a very real way. And to remind you, uh, the, 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 the speakers include Stephanie Kuntz, who's an author and professor, sociologist Reginald Bibby, and theologian Dr. Richard Gailardi. And he, um, just briefly, Blake also mentioned that what impressed him so much about Dr. Gailardi's thought was that marriage is a communal sacrament, meaning that it's not just about me, the safe circle of me, my spouse, and my kids, but it includes making a change in the world. So that's the upcoming conference titled A Time for Hope, Finally, Good News About Marriage, March 19th and 20th in Saskatoon. Find out more at marriage2010.ca. And again, you can check out the February 13th episode of Salt and Light Radio from the radio website to listen to what Blake had to say about that. Mm -hmm. Now, Winnipeg, you can join young adults in a presentation and discussion on priesthood. Father Michael Savarimuthu, I hope I pronounced his name right, will be at the King's Head in the Exchange District of Winnipeg on Thursday, March 18th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. for Theology on Tap. For more information, contact the Office of Youth and Young Adult Ministry at youth at archwinnipeg.ca. And finally, Toronto cannot be beaten by Theology on Tap because we have our own. Hosted by Faith Connections is on well, the topic is on mystagogia. So if you're wondering what the heck is mystagogia, yes. you'll find out when special guest Sister Jacqueline de Vertuy talks about, it at, talks about it at the Duke of York pub in Toronto on Monday, March 15th from 7 to 9 p.m. So there's thought-provoking prov- conversation, munchies, cash bar. So find out more by contacting Vanessa Nicholas Schmidt at faithconnections.ca uh, or by emailing her sorry that was the website so you can email her as well at faithconnections at csj-to.ca and starting tomorrow till wednesday march 14th to 17th the national vocation and formation conference will be taking place in toronto 
I spoke with Father Ronald Heiser, and you'll hear about that later on. Yes, thank you. So that, uh, as Mary Rose said, she'll be back in about 40 minutes with more information on that National Vocation and Formation Conference that's coming to Toronto next week. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. My name is Pedro, and coming up, we'll be hearing a talk by Cardinal Leveda. But first, here with us is Chris Dimitrenko. Hi, Pedro. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Cardinal Leveda's address in Kingston, and you said it's always yes. fun to <laughs> listen to a cardinal. Well, this actually was a very fascinating lecture that, that he gave on Anglicanorum Chaitibus. If you remember, this was the apostolic exhortation which um, provided a, a way for Anglicans, even groups of Anglicans, to become Catholic while maintaining some of their traditions. Yes. And, uh, and he defended this, saying that this wasn't something that was totally out of the blue, like some people characterized, or poaching of Anglicans, but this is in continuity with a long process called ARCIC, the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission, mm -hmm. that has been going on since 1969, and they're about to undergo the, the third ed edition of it, ARCIC III. And uh, he said that part of the reason why uh, they n there needed to be a way for Anglicans to come into the Catholic Church at this point is because of some of the issues that haven't been resolved in terms of differences with the Anglicans, such as the ordination of women to the priesthood mm -hmm. uh, and subsequently to the bishop's office even, as well as the ordination of practicing homosexuals. And uh, ultimately behind those other problems, there's a bigger question about the authority of scripture and ma the magisterium. Right. Now, what new did we learn from this talk? Well, apparently Anglican bishops and theologians themselves who were consultant, uh, consultants for uh, the preparation of Anglican Norm Chaitibus themselves proposed the Catechism of the Catholic Church as the norm of faith for ordinariate. So I thought that was interesting. interesting. That it was Anglicans who suggested this would be essentially the, the litmus test of, right. of doctrine. Um, now, in terms of, of how this union would look or how Cardinal Levada sees ecumenism uh, he says that union with the Catholic Church is the goal of ecumenism hmm. and that this is what ecumenism all is all about union with the Catholic Church he said this is nothing new Cardinal Walter Casper the president of the Pontifical Council for promoting, promoting Christian unity said as much in 2006 uh, but he says that this kind of union with the Catholic Church doesn't mean absorption into a monolith and he used a metaphor here of um, a teaspoon of sugar being lost if dissolved in a gallon of coffee. He said it's not like that. He said that it could be compared instead to an orchestral ensemble. ensemble. Um, one can perhaps say, he said, that the ecumenical movement wishes to move from cacophony to symphony. Right. The Catholic Church always plays the right note, he said, on, on these different issues and, and uh, in its worship, but other communities can give it more volume. So there's other areas in which uh, different uh, communions can, can contribute, and particularly with the Anglicans, he said, uh, he said that their uh, unifying role of the Episcopate, esteem for sacramental life, similar sense of Catholicity as a mark of the church, and a vibrant missionary impulse. He said that all these things that these Anglican groups can bring as they join the Catholic communion and uh, finally, he said that, you know, people long for discordant tones and voices to be harmonized. And when an individual or indeed a community is ready for unity with the Church of Christ that subsists in the Catholic Church, 
It would be a betrayal of Catholic ecumenical principles and goals to refuse to embrace them. So it was a vigorous, vigorous defense of the church's outreach to these traditional Anglicans. Yeah, well, it's very, very interesting. And, and uh, to have him be the one to come and have that, that meeting here in Canada, w I think, was spectacular. I uh, will be talking a little bit more in the next segment as the his portion of the visit in Ottawa, where I was, um, uh, he gave a talk, the topic of the talk at the, at the CCO, mm -hmm. the Catholic Christian Outreach Fundraiser was, is the Catholic faith worth passing on? And he gave some great insight and some great tips. And we will be hearing that talk coming up. So uh, that's the news for now. Uh, Chris will return in about 20 minutes to tell us uh, some more news that are coming out of the Vatican. You're listening to Satellite Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. We've been hearing for the last two weeks about the visit of Cardinal William Leveda to Canada. He's the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, and it's said that he's the third highest ranking member of the Roman Curia after the Holy Father. He came to Canada to assist with the evangelizing work of Catholic Christian Outreach, a Canadian campus ministry missionary group. In Ottawa, Cardinal Leveda presided at a mass at Notre Dame Cathedral and then was the key speaker for the Catholic Christian Outreach Fundraising Dinner, where he spoke on whether the Catholic faith is worth passing on. What follows are highlight excerpts from that talk. I'm really overjoyed to be here. Um, this has been a wonderful experience for me, um, and um, I hope my remarks will be of some encouragement to CCO which uh, I had not known until this trip, but I'm very happy to make your acquaintance. Uh, dear young people of Catholic Christian Outreach, my topic tonight was proposed by CCO. Why is the Catholic faith worth passing on? It's a good question. Let me give you a short answer, because it's true. I will give a, a longer answer, too. <laughs> I have entitled my remarks tonight, Mind, Heart, and Mission, Handing on the Catholic Faith on Campus. Before I get to that longer answer, first a little note about the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. As it is called now, uh, what it used to be called was the Holy Inquisition, <laughs> which got a bad name. Inquisition is just a word for inquirere, to find out, to investigate, but um, we won't go into the Spanish Inquisition and that, that part of the question. But uh, from 1542, this congregation has exercised an important role in the church in helping to promote the Catholic faith and to do so also at times by correcting errors. Uh, from the 16th century, when it was founded, the time of the Protestant Reformation, it became clear that it was necessary that there be such a special organ of the Holy See devoted to the preser preservation and promotion of the faith to identify errors and promote the truth. This uh, congregation was given its new name uh, after the Second Vatican Council. And uh, the uh, building that we're in is called the Palazzo del Santuficio, the Holy Office. It's on the Piazza del Santuficio in Rome. And it uh, gives you a sense of history to look through the archives and to be a part of a long ministry in the church. 
1965, after the Second Vatican Council, with the new name, uh, the uh, new uh, prefect uh, shortly thereafter, who raised his voice, a Croatian Archbishop, Cardinal Franjo Schaper, raised his voice um, at the Second Vatican Council, somewhat critical of the procedures of the Holy Office as he understood them. And for his trouble, he was named by Pope Paul VI to be the prefect of the congregation. And I served under him for five years as an official. And my last year there, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, then Archbishop of Munich, was appointed to be our new prefect. Here in Canada's capital, just a few blocks from the Parliament buildings, perhaps it's worth beginning my remarks by quoting the words of Venerable Pope John Paul II in his 1991 encyclical, Centesimus Annus. Nowadays, he said, there is a tendency to claim that agnosticism and skeptical relativism are the philosophy and basic attitude which corresponds to a democratic form of political life. Those who are convinced that they know the truth and firmly adhere to it are considered unreliable from a democratic point of view, since they do not accept that truth is determined by the majority, or that it is subject to variation according to different political trends. It must be observed in this regard, continued the Pope, that there is no ultimate, that if there is no ultimate truth to guide and direct political activity, then ideas and convictions can easily be manipulated for reasons of power. End of the quotation. Can anyone really doubt that such a description as Pope John Paul gave is what is happening in many respects in places like Canada and the United States and Europe? Pope Benedict has described this as the dictatorship of relativism, the phrase he made famous on the eve of his election as Bishop of Rome. The dictatorship of relativism does not so much seek to impose one view on everybody, but rather to drive from political life, academic life, cultural life, anyone who re refuses to concede that all truths are relative, or to put it more bluntly, that there is no truth which can be known with certainty. Against this relativism and skepticism, the Christian believer proclaims that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It is a direct confrontation with the dictatorship of relativism. It is, if you will, as the Pope's other encyclical, Fides et Ratio, said, uh, it is a, a marriage of faith and reason that corresponds to the human person and to the human way of knowing. So let me return to the answer I gave. The Catholic faith is worth handing on because it is true and expand on it in a way that I hope will be relevant to your work as Catholic missionaries on campus. Mind and the campus. The university exists to search for the truth in the various disciplines of human knowledge. While we divide up fields of knowledge in order to better research the particular truths under investigation, reality cannot be divided against itself. 
something we know is true in one discipline cannot be utterly contradicted by a truth in another discipline. In this academic pursuit, the truths of Christian faith have a place. It would be, it seems to me, absurd to exclude from our common life the truths of physics or philosophy or the insights of literature or music. In the same way, it impoverishes our common life when the truths of faith are excluded from campus. Indeed, in response to the deeper questions of human existence, to exclude the truths of faith is to exclude the rich patrimony of human wisdom. So the first thing to say about the Catholic mission on campus is that it participates in the mission of the university. In, the, uh, in another document uh, of Pope John Paul ex corde ecclesia about Catholic universities, he said scientific and technological discoveries create an enormous economic and industrial growth but they also inescapably require the correspondingly necessary search for meaning in order to guarantee that the new discoveries be used for the authentic good of individuals and of human society as a whole. So the quote from Pope John Paul's Ex Corde Ecclesiae. We know well that the technical mastery without ethical guidance can turn man's discoveries against himself. We know that political philosophies, untethered from the dignity of the human person, can be lethal. We have seen that so dramatically during the past century. We know that economic enterprises, removed from the practice of the virtues, can increase human suffering and instability. In all fields, the world needs more truth, not less. And so we decline to cooperate in our exclusion from the university campus. We hand on the Catholic faith because it is true, and it belongs in the place where the truth is sought. Hi, I'm Mary Richard. And I'm Louis Richard. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel. Sirius 159 and XM 117. We're listening to excerpts from a talk given by Cardinal William Leveda, the Prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, for the Catholic Christian Outreach Fundraising Dinner in Ottawa last Monday. He's speaking about why the Catholic faith should be passed on, and he has so far given the main reason why. We hand on the Catholic faith because it is true, and it belongs in the place where the truth is sought. Secondly, heart and the campus. The search for truth might appear to remain abstract. This brings me to the second point. We hand on the Catholic faith because the truth of our faith is personal. It is personal in its object, Jesus Christ and all that he has taught. And it is personal in its subject, the believer, the human person. The university world in which our students live is vastly different from the days when I was young. The sheer volume of information, the constant communication between students, the connectedness of the campus to the outside world means that students live in a vast ocean of information. The Catholic faith proposes a standard against which all this information can be measured. I know that campus missionaries do not set out to integrate scientific knowledge with Catholic metaphysics, 
as they set up their tables in the student center. But that is what they do at the personal level. They help students discover the truth of Jesus Christ and to see all their other endeavors in the light of that relationship. What CCO calls, I'm told, the ultimate relationship. We hand on the Catholic faith because the mind of the university needs it, but the heart of the university needs it too. The hearts of the young yearn for meaning, for some purpose toward which they can direct their energies and talents, for some cause to which they can devote their lives. The campus mind seeks knowledge, but the campus heart seeks a great mission. We all recall the stirring words of our Holy Father, Pope Benedict, at his inaugural mass in April 2005. And if you don't immediately recall them, you'll hear them again now. <laughs> if we let Christ into our lives, he said, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No, only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship with Christ do we experience beauty and liberation. And so today, with great strength and great conviction, on the basis of long personal experience of life, I say to you, dear young people, says Pope Benedict, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away and he gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open, open wide the doors to Christ and you will find true life. So Pope Benedict. We hand on the Catholic faith because it offers something that every young person seeks, authentic, enduring friendship. It may surprise some to realize how much loneliness there is in our universities. The hearts of the young, not just their minds, need the beautiful friendship that the Catholic Church offers with Jesus Christ. My third point, mission and the campus. I would add a third reason why we hand on the Catholic faith. It is because the Lord Jesus commanded us to do so. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, he told his first apostles. This is not a task for those first apostles alone. It is not a task today for the pastors of the church alone. It is a task for every baptized Christian, and therefore it is a duty that includes also the university campus. The testimony of many university chaplains is that the modern secular campus is truly exotic missionary territory. I was impressed to hear that CCO's missionaries study Redemptoris Missio, the mission of the Redeemer, the encyclical letter, as part of their training. That in that 1990 encyclical of Pope John Paul II on the church's missionary activity, he wrote, Evangelization is the primary service the church can render to every individual and to all humanity in the modern world. The moment has come to commit all of the church's energies to a new evangelization. And that means also a re-evangelization of our own Christian cultures. No believer in Christ, 
He went on, no institution of the church can avoid this supreme duty to proclaim Christ to all peoples. So our Holy Father, Pope John Paul. We might ask ourselves, where are the church's energies mobilized for this work of evangelization today? It is essential that these energies are directed to our campuses. For if we do not reach our young leaders today, the future will look bleak indeed. Yet there is nothing bleak about the experience of those who do preach the gospel to our young people. The church as a whole has learned this lesson very well from the World Youth Days. Our experience as Americans in Denver in 1993, yours here in Toronto in 2002, still remain vivid for many of us who participated. Some of you were present at the last World Youth Day in Sydney in 2008. And perhaps those who were remember the concluding words of our Holy Father at the celebratory concluding mass. Dear young people, he said, let me ask you now a question. What will you leave to the next generation? Are you building your lives on firm foundations, building something that will endure? Are you living your lives in a way that opens up space for the spirit in the midst of a world that wants to forget God or even rejects him in the name of a falsely conceived freedom? Are you, how are you using the gifts you have been given, the power which the Holy Spirit is even now prepared to release within you? What legacy will you leave to young people yet to come? What difference will you make? So the words of our Holy Father. Those questions pertain to young people in a particular way. They presume energy and excitement for the future and the great treasure consigned to young people, the capacity for great ideals and an eagerness to make sacrifices for them. University campuses are full of such young people. Many of them do not know Jesus Christ. Many of them do not know that in him they will find the one ideal which never fades, the one cause that will never disappoint the one model who will never betray them. The mission on campus is essential because there are so many there who desire a great mission. At the beginning of the World Youth Day Mass in Sydney, the local Archbishop Cardinal Pell spoke of, spoke of that immense crowd. He said of them, we see young men and women who are just now discovering their mission in life. One mission is better than a thousand options and we are encouraged by their high ideals in embracing the mission the Lord has chosen for them. So Cardinal Pell. We hand on the Catholic faith on campus because there are eager souls looking for that one mission among a thousand options. The mission we propose is greater than any other on offer. I conclude with a personal note about our work at the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. Much of our work involves identifying problems, correcting errors, disciplining abuses. But we do all that so that we can propose the truth of Jesus Christ without confusion. In this, we have no better model than my predecessor, our Holy Father, who for 24 years worked vigorously to correct errors, but never lost sight of proposing the truth. Had he never been elected Pope, 
The great achievement of the Catechism of the Catholic Church would itself have stood as a remarkable legacy to his work. Now, even with his heavy burden of administrative duties, the Holy Father continues to teach brilliantly, proposing the Catholic faith anew. I remember being with our Holy Father during his visit to Washington in 2007, when he addressed these words to the bishops of the United States. He said, in a society that rightly values personal liberty, the church needs to promote at every level of her teaching in catechesis, preaching, seminary and university instruction, and apologetics aimed at affirming the truth of Christian revelation, the harmony of faith and reason, and a sound understanding of freedom seen in positive terms as a liberation both from the limitations of sin and for an authentic and fulfilling life. Such words not only challenge us, but encourage us in our apostolate on today's campus. At the end of the first volume, Jesus of Nazareth, Pope Benedict summarized his main point with the clarity for which he is known. As we await the publication of the second volume, permit me to conclude with words from the end of the, that first uh, volume, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, in the end, man needs just one thing in which everything else is included, but he must first delve beyond his superficial wishes and longings in order to learn what he truly needs and truly wants. He needs God. Jesus gives us life because he gives us God. Yes, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, we need God. That is why the Catholic faith is worth handing on. Thank you and God bless you. That was an excerpt from Cardinal William Levada's talk at the Catholic Christian Outreach Fundraiser in Ottawa last Monday. Here now, are Susan Hukong-Taylor and Anna da Costa with Psalm 145, I Will Extol Thee. Splendor. 
was Susan Hukong Taylor and Anna da Costa with Psalm 145, I Will Extol Thee, from their album, I Will Praise and Follow You. Now, today we're listening to music from the Psalms, and here now is Chris Dimitrenko. Hi, Pedro. I just wanted to comment on what we just heard from Cardinal Levada before, before yes. the song. Um, I, I thought it was amazing that we had essentially the, the number three from the Vatican, yes. the person who was in charge of so many of the, the hot topics that the church is dealing with here in Canada. And w- there was actually um, a luncheon with media and evangelization leaders in Kingston uh, just, uh, just one week ago. And uh, it was a pleasure to, to attend this, this, luncheon, yes. this luncheon. If you want to hear more from Cardinal Aveda, go to saltandlighttv.org. We're going to be posting information uh, soon, if it's not there now, about an upcoming interview with Cardinal Levada conducted by our own Father Thomas Rosica. Now, Pedro, homilies. How long do you think a homily should be? Eight minutes. Why do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> I, ju- I was just having this conversation with a priest friend of mine last week, and, and he's very good at, at uh, one page, .12 font, eight minutes. So that's where that came from. Uh, it's not like I spent a lot of time oh. thinking about well these I things. I definitely think that, that some priests are maybe changing the margins a little <laughs> bit or using smaller font size because maybe I, uh, some are quite quite longer than that. And sometimes that's okay. Except a Vatican official, Archbishop Nikola Terevich, says that they should be eight minutes because this is a listener's average attention span. Hopefully our listeners on the radio have slightly longer attention spans than eight minutes. Otherwise we're in trouble. But uh, Nikola Terevich, he was the Secretary General of the Synod of Bishops, and he just released a new book titled The Word of God. And it includes tips from the 2008 Synod of Bishops. This is when all the bishops get together in Rome. We've talked about it before. Yes. And uh, the last one, 2009, was on the African bishops. This year it's going to be about the church in the Middle East, 2010. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the other tips that he had were that Priests and deacons should avoid reading straight from the text and instead work from notes so there can be some eye contact. Um, also, he noted that Pope Benedict, you know when he starts working on his Sunday homilies? On the Monday, the Monday beforehand. Yes. So there's plenty of time to reflect on the scriptures. Uh, also, you know, look at uh, other sources like the newspaper so that you can, uh, you know, put the scriptures in sort of a contemporary context. And, uh, and also give, give some practical guidelines in terms of readings or prayers or activities that they can do afterwards. And, uh, and also, uh, newsworthy, he announced that the post-synodal apostolic exhortation will be coming after Easter. He told this to, to Rome reports. And so this is the report from that synod. We've been waiting a long time for it. Right. And uh, that's going to be released quite soon. Now, just to interrupt, I did say eight minutes, not because I had an, in, an insight on the, <laughs> on the, on the, on the news. Um, I honestly, that's what my friend was saying, eight oh. minutes. So maybe he already had read the report, or that's what he's been doing for a year. Oh, well, yeah. good for eight him. Eight minutes, yes. Good for him. Now, uh, uh, there has been some more difficult news, and, and uh, perhaps our listeners have heard about it, about new sexual abuse cases in Europe. And, uh, and it's, it's hit you know, really close to home. Um, for the Pope because some of them have been happening in Germany. In fact, the Pope's brother apologized to abuse victims this past week. Uh, he was the choir master for 30 years at a school in, in Regensburg um, between 1964 and 1994, and he wasn't there during a time when there was uh, some particular abuse cases, but, uh, and he said that he had no idea that molestation had been taking place 
but he says that he's deeply sorry for anyone whose spiritual or physical integrity was injured by abuse and uh, and there was also reports of some kind of physical violence from the priest who headed the school and he says if he had known about this exaggerated vehemence with which the director acted I would have reacted quote uh, he says that he was happy when caning was banned in 1980 it's uh, it's easy to forget how uh, how recent it is that, that corporal punishment yeah, I remember it. has has been eliminated and so I think we need to keep this in context mm-hmm. so he was he wasn't aware of the extent of corporal punishment and he certainly wasn't aware of the sexual abuse which happened again before his time there now um, the president of the bishops conference uh, had a meeting with the Pope this past week um, another bishop who was in charge of overseeing abuse claims you know, met with a, a roundtable with the German government, which includes parents, teachers, trade union groups. So the country is is you know recognizing that this is a societal problem, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's heartening to note, to note that uh, the German Chancellor Angela Merkel she praised the church in how it's been dealing with these acu- accusations uh, since 2002, saying that there's a very serious wish to deal with the problems. Um, and this has been reiterated by the papal spokesperson, Father Federico Lombardi, who uh, issued a response this this past week, speaking about the the seriousness of the abuse, mm-hmm. but also uh, highlighting that you know, contrary to to what the news reports might seem, this isn't something that is happening disproportionately in the Catholic Church, but is is happening in many other sec- sectors of society where where children can be vulnerable. Yes, thank you, Chris. Uh, the news isn't always. Uh, good news, no. but uh, we have to realize that these things did did happen, and and mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's the reality. We need to uh, to address them, and before we can move on. So thank you for that. Um, our news producer, Chris Dimitrenko. If you'd like to comment on anything you hear on our program, send us an email: radio at saltandlighttv.org. Here now is one more psalm. This is the Divine Brothers with Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you. The people praise you, then all the peoples praise you, O God. Let the people praise you, let all the peoples praise you, our Lord God Most High. Be gracious, O God, and bless us. May your face always shine upon us. Praise you, let all the peoples praise you, our Lord God. 
That was the Divine Brothers with Psalm 67, Let the Peoples Praise You. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. You're listening to Saltonite Radio. Our email address is radio at saltonlighttv.org, and our blog can be read at saltonlighttv.org slash blog. And here back with us is Mary Rose to tell us about the Vocations Conference that's coming to Toronto. Yes, Pedro. So starting tomorrow till Wednesday, March 14th to 17th, Toronto will be hosting the National Vocation and Formation Conference, and it will take place at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel downtown Toronto. Now, it's an event organized by the National Association of Vocation and Formation Directors, or NAVFD, mm-hmm. and they're expecting over 200 religious and lay participants from all over Canada and the U.S., so it's Wonderful. quite a big event. Yes. And the theme they're exploring is Let Your Life Speak, Vocation Alive. The keynote speaker is Father Ron Rollheiser, and many of you may know him. He's an acclaimed author and lecturer, and his weekly column is carried by more than 60 newspapers worldwide, aside from his various writings. Yes. I had a chance to speak with him earlier this week. Thank you so much for joining us, Father Rollheiser. You are going to be addressing for four days vocation and formation directors. Now, why have you gathered them all together? What are you trying to tell them? Well, the essence of my message is going to be that I mean, there's many ways you can approach the question of vocations, but my, my message is going to be that we are going to get vocations to the extent that we have the personal integrity and self-sacrifice and uh, prayer in our own lives to be able to ask that from somebody. See, we, we, we can never ask somebody to dedicate themselves, to sacrifice themselves in a way that we haven't done ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think the key vocation thing is for us to um, have the integrity and the depth and the maturity inside of ourselves to ask that. And now, I know there are going to be um, lay people as well attending this conference. What is your, how does this conference speak to today's generation, to the lay people today? Well, it, it's interesting, and, and it's, it's paradoxical, but... Um, but not curious that all the things that apply to religious life also apply to lay people just in it with a different modality. Mm. So, in fact, you could take all four, three vows, poverty, chastity, obedience. Uh, those are also the vows that anchor a marriage. You know, poverty is, is communal sharing. Uh, chastity is, you know, chastity isn't necessarily celibacy, although it is for us, but it's, you know, commitment and a proper honoring of sexuality. And then obedience um, we're obedient to a community, but a marriage calls for a mutual mutuality of obedience between a man and a woman, and so that everything that is in the evangelical councils, the, the three vows, is also being asked for in marriage, simply in a different form. And so I think uh, it can, you know, marriage is as much a vocation as as uh, priesthood or sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Now I know this is a four-day event, a very short time for you to to get such very deep, profound messages out. What can we expect in the four days of the conference? 
Well, um, you know, I thought about that, and I, I don't think we can expect um, that anything messianic is going to happen, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't have to. Um, I think two things I would hope for outcome. One of them is that um, people leave with more heart. You know, in Luke's Gospel, it, Luke always puts it that, that people come to Jesus because they've lost heart. You know, and I think in terms of vocation, not just in terms of priesthood and sisterhood, but even married people today with so much ferment in our culture, people are losing heart and don't feel support from others. I think kind of a, a you know, a gaining of heart in a mutual supporting to see this. There's a lot of people out there struggling with the same dream and ideal. And then secondly, I would also hope that um, we'll walk away with more understanding and mutual empathy between, for simplistic purposes, liberals and conservatives in the Church. Mm-hmm. That we're all about the same thing, and sometimes we almost see each other as an enemy. But that, you know, nuns with habits and nuns without habits and priests with callers and nuns with, without callers would walk away and say, no, no, no we're, we're, we're one and that callers and habits and forms of ecclesiology aren't really the deep thing that any of this is about, you know, that the, the, the deep, the core values and, 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 and essence that live underneath there are just a thousand times more important than our differences. Thank you so much, Father Rollheiser. Okay, thank you. Again, that was Father Ron Rollheiser talking to us about the National Vocation and Formation Conference in Toronto, which starts tomorrow and goes on till Wednesday, March 17th at the Courtyard Marriott Hotel downtown. Yeah, that sounds like a wonderful conference. I, I w- wonder if I have some time to actually <laughs> escape and, and listen to a little bit of that, uh, Father Ron Rollheiser. I'm a big fan. So thank you, Mary Rose. Uh, Mary Rose Bacani, our Salt and Light Radio Events producer. And remember to our dear listeners, just let us know about your events. Send us a, an email, radio at saltandlighttv.org. You're listening to Salt and Light Radio on the Catholic Channel, Sirius 159 and XM 117. My name is Pedro Guevara Man. And I'm Mary Rose Bacani. Tomorrow, Sunday night, tune in for a documentary, The Men of Carmel, Anchored in God and Life. That's at 8.30 Eastern, tomorrow, Sunday, March 14th. And it should be a good follow-up to our special from last week on the Carmel of St. Joseph. Yes, uh, for all those who are interested in learning more about the Carmelites. Now, also, on Thursday, March 19th, there is a wonderful episode of our program, Eye on the Church, looking at Pope Pius XII and the Holocaust. Yes, this is a very wonderful program and a thought-provoking episode, Eye on the Church, Pope Pius XII and the Holocaust next Thursday, March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And on March 19th, that's the Friday, at 8 p.m., we will be broadcasting a short film that was made by students from the Dufferin Peel Catholic School uh, School Board, uh, a film on gangs and bullying called Mouse. Yes, Mouse, it's a great little film, and it'll, it'll be airing next Friday. March 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific. Yes, that's the one I'm going to be watching. <laughs> um, uh, and Mouse is actually followed by a, another short documentary, and this one is on St. Paul. It's titled Paul of Tarsus, Messenger of Jesus Christ. That's on Friday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Pacific. And that's it. So if you uh, want to find out more about our television programming, visit our website, saltandlighttv.org. And if you missed any part of this broadcast, you can go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio to listen to or to download any or all of our radio programs. 
And remember that our blog is at saltandlighttv.org forward slash blog. And all mail can be sent to radio at saltandlighttv.org. We'd love to hear from you. So yes. thank you for being with us. I'm Mary Rose Bacani. And I'm Pedro. And this has been Salt and Light Radio.